and continuing reading God's word in Colossians chapter 3, verses 12 through 17. Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Bear with each other and forgive whatever grievances you may have against one another. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. And over all these virtues put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, since as members of one body you were called to peace. And be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom, as you sing psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs with gratitude in your hearts to God. And whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord, the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. I wanted to begin each Sunday, so if I come up to you next Sunday before the service and hand you a little slip of paper, it's got a verse on it, uh, and you don't want to read like this, before the church, you better tell me so I can pass it to somebody else, okay? But I, I want to start that practice in our church, reading around the scripture that I was going to speak about this morning, that the Lord laid on my heart. Remember, Wednesday night, I told you we would be in Colossians 3. We're going to talk about crossing the border, and what, what do I mean by that? I want to talk to you today about how to live the Christian life and what that means and how we accomplish that and how important uh, that it is. So Colossians chapter 3 in your Bible, when you find that, stand with me and we'll read a little more of God's Word, beginning in verse 1. Colossians chapter 3 and verse 1. The Bible says, If then you have been raised up with Christ, keep seeking the things above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things above, not on the things that are on earth. For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is our life, is revealed, then you also will be revealed with Him in glory. Lord Jesus, we come before you as your people, as your children, Lord, we long to hear from you today. We long to uh, be spoken to by your word and by your spirit. Lord, let your spirit have freedom in this place today. Let our hearts be open and receptive to you. Lord, break us from the mold that we live in. Break us from our routine. Break us from our schedule. Break us from all that's holding us captive and, and uh, bound today. Let us be free when we walk out of these doors. Let us know that we heard from you today in this place. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. You may be seated. Thank you. Crossing uh, the border. Uh, on the screen is a cartoon, a little cartoon, and uh, uh, some people were having a Bible study. And one of the ladies, uh, they were having a Bible study, and, and the man leading it said, Now, what about this verse where we died to our sins? And one of the ladies said, well, I'll tell you what, I've never died to my sin, but I almost fainted by it once. The Bible says we must die to our sin. 
right? The Bible says we must die to our sin. In order to do that, there must be some things that happen within us. There must be some things that happen on the outside of us and the inside of us. The Bible refers to that, and we've read all about it this morning, the resurrected life. You must have this resurrected life in order to die to your sin. You know, we all uh, learn by example. Uh, I watched my parents, and I learned how to do things. And, and you watched your parents, and you learned how to do things. And, and your children and grandchildren are watching you. Therefore, they're learning how to do things by the way that you do them. They watch everything about you. In fact, they watch you more than you want to be watched. Okay? Because we don't always die to our sin. In fact, sometimes when I'm tempted, I feel that my flesh is more alive than it's ever been before. But the Bible encourages me to die to that. To put that aside, to put that down. Well, how can I do that? The Lord equips you with a new life. He called it being born again. Paul calls it the resurrected life. You and I can call it whatever we want, but that's what it entails. To be somebody new. To have a new identity. To have new feelings and new emotions. And a new aim in life. A new goal. A new drive. This is what the Bible is teaching us today. We imitate we follow. Of course we are to follow the Lord Jesus Christ. Paul wrote to the Corinthians in chapter 11. He said this, Be imitators of me, just as I also am of Christ. So we learn by following an example. Certainly Paul is not telling us there to follow him. He's simply saying, follow Jesus as I am following Jesus. And so you and I must do the same. We must follow the Lord. We must live this Christian life. Why is it important to live that Christian life? Because about 34 years ago, I had somebody tell me about Jesus. If I had not seen a Christian in my lifetime, then I would not have known what they were saying or what they wanted me to do. But because I had seen Christians in my lifetime, I knew that what they were saying was genuine. I knew Christians, but I was not one. But I longed to be like those people. They were free. They were not enslaved by the things that had me bound. And I wanted out of that life. And because someone shared with me the gospel, I was able to follow the example of people in my life that I knew were followers of God. And I stepped out of that existence into a new life that the Lord was providing for me. And He will do that for you. Why is it important? Because the Christian life is different than the people of the world. We should be different in our nature, in our outlook, in our interest, in our aim, in our ambition. As I said, this life is described as the resurrected life. 
And so let's discuss that a little more. You know, I, I know we all are familiar with somebody who has told you that they are living above sin. They're not really tempted anymore. Right? They, they don't have a problem with sin. Let me inform you this morning. All you need to do is go ask somebody that knows them. And you'll get a different story. Amen? We all struggle with sin. Even the greatest Christian still is tempted by sin. Even the Lord Himself was tempted by Satan to sin. And yet He overcame that. We can overcome, but we all will face and fight that temptation and that battle of the flesh that goes before us. Verse 2 in our text, look at that again. Set your mind on the things above, not on the things that are on earth. If that was true, that you and I could overcome sin at our salvation, then verse 2 should be omitted. We wouldn't need to set our minds on things above because we are above the things of the earth. But it's not the case. You and I fight that on a daily basis. So Paul encourages us there, to look up and not to focus on the things around us in this world. Born again. Any man who is in Christ is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, all becomes new. Right? That's what the Bible teaches us in Corinthians. So being born again is a new creation. The flesh is not annihilated, however. You and I now have two natures that we struggle with. One is for God, the other is for self. One is for God, the other is for this world. One is for God, the other one wants to drag us down below. What is this resurrected life that Paul mentions here? If I have been raised with Christ. What is he saying there exactly? Well, let me show you this. It begins with a new nature, a new identity, this resurrected life. Why do I need that? Look in chapter 2. That Bart read earlier in verse 13. And when you were dead in your transgressions and the uncircumcision of your flesh, He, being God, made you alive together with Him, having forgiven us all our transgressions. I was dead. You were dead in your sin. Imagine this with me with your mind's eye. There you lay in your tomb. You are laying in a tomb. You are hopeless and helpless to raise yourself out of it. There is no one to help you. The stench of death and sin is raising off that tomb. You have eyes, but you can't see. You have ears, but you can't hear. You have a heart... But you can't love. You have withered hands that you cannot reach out and touch someone and give them grace or love or forgiveness even. There you are in that tomb. Gil showed me a young man on the internet yesterday and he was preaching a little bit. A black man, a young black man, and he was talking about Someone asked him, why would God send me to hell because of my sin? And this young man said, God's not sending you to hell. You're already on your way. You're already going to hell. 
God's not sending you there. Your sin has sent you there. What God wants to do is rescue you. He wants to stop you from going to hell. God doesn't send us to hell. We are already on our way. The Bible says we were dead in our trespasses and sin. All of us laying in a tomb. We could not raise ourselves. We could not make ourselves climb out of that hole. There was nothing we could do. And suddenly, the Holy Spirit passed over us. And we had a glimpse of life. Just briefly. Just for a moment. And then the Holy Spirit came back. And He hovered over us in that tomb. And He spoke to us. And He convicted us of our sin and our wrong. And then He showed us the judgment that was coming to us. If death in a tomb wasn't bad enough, hell was waiting for those. Amen? The Holy Spirit convicted us and then we confessed. We agreed with God that we were sinners, hopelessly and helplessly dead in our sin. No way out. On our way to hell. And the Holy Spirit spoke to us, gently convicting us, judging, showing us judgment, and then we confessed, and then the Holy Spirit opened our eyes. And guess what we saw? Jesus. Standing over our tomb with His hand extended. And we reached up for the first time in our life and we took Him by the hand and He lifted us out of that grave. Hallelujah! To the Lord who saved everyone here that is a believer. That's what... Jesus has done. That's why Paul writes, if you have been raised with Christ. Okay, now you understand what that means, right? That that we were dead, but now we have been given life. New life. A new identity. Now our eyes see spiritually. Now our ears are able to hear spiritually. Now we can reach out with those withered, restored hands and reach our community and our friends with grace and love and forgiveness. Now our heart knows how to love. I know all of you love your wives. I know all of you wives love your husbands and you love your grandchildren and you love people in your life. But I promise you, and you know it to be true, you never knew how to love Until Christ loved you. Okay? I loved my wife when we got married. And we were not Christians. But when Christ came, I was jealous. Didn't want anybody touching, talking, looking at her. Right? Jealous. What does 1 Corinthians 13 say about love? It is not jealous. When I became a believer, God took that jealousy away from me. I was not jealous of my wife anymore. I had a love that God gave me. I was able to love her as she deserved as a wife of a man. She was able to love me as a husband the way a wife should love a husband. 
You see, that's how that works. God loved us when he pulled us out of that grave and he taught us how to love. You know, if we stayed in that tomb, then we would be content. A man dead in his sin is content with this world. This world has a lot of pleasure to offer. A dead man is content with that. Amen? A dead man doesn't care about religion. In fact, he wears it like a suit. He puts it on and goes to church. He's dead in his sin. And he's wearing a dead suit of religion. The things that he does in his church, his tithing, his worship, his giving, his service, if he's a dead man, those are just pretty pieces of dead furniture in his dead house. Amen? But God lifted us out of that tomb. Not religion will save you. Only the relationship with the one who picked you out of that grave will ever save you. And He did that by giving His life in your place. He gave His life so you could have life. That is the resurrected life. That's what Jesus has done for us. If you are content with this world, you're a dead man on a dead man's trail. And all the things you do that are called religion are simply dead furniture in your dead house. Brother, get alive. Get alive this morning and realize that to cross the border from the world to the kingdom means I must be resurrected. I must have a new identity. I must have a new life. In the same way that a dead man is content with this world, a born-again, resurrected man is not content in the grave. Amen? I'm not content with the restraints of this world. They bind me. They keep me from living. They hold me back. What are some of those restraints? We know them as vices. We know them as sin. We know them as all kinds of avenues of wrong. And they're binding you, resurrected man. They're binding you. And that's why we cry out for freedom. Because we're bound even being alive. We let sin put its claws in us. A resurrected man is not content with the grave. A resurrected man is only content with that relationship with Jesus Christ. Look what Paul said about it in Romans 6 on the screen. Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? May it never be! Exclamation point. How shall we who died to sin still live in it? Question mark. If we have become united with Him in the likeness of His death, certainly we shall be also in the likeness of His resurrection. Our text says, if you have been raised with Christ. Now you understand that, don't you? If you have been pulled out of that death tomb, if you've been given new clothes to wear, and a new heart to love, and new eyes to see, then you understand what the resurrected life is. If you are content and you're still in that tomb, today, today, right now, Christ can pull you out. He's extending that hand to you right now in this place.
But if you're content, you'll stay. But if you're not, and you want to be free from whatever is ailing you, then take His hand. I took it 30 years ago with no regret, and I promise you I've never let it go. Maybe once in a while I've tried to put it behind my back, but I've never let go. Okay? Amen. Now, to have and cross this border, we have to have this resurrected life. Well, how do I get that life? Well, let's look a little further. I must let my life line up with my new life. My actions need to line up with my resurrected life. Look in verse 1. If you have been raised up with Christ, keep seeking the things above. There's a verb for you. There's something for you to do. If is a terrible way for the English to say that. It doesn't mean with doubt, if you have been raised. It means since you have been raised. Okay? Remember that. Since you are born again, then here's what you need to do. Keep seeking the things that are above. Get out of the grave. Get out of that tomb. Let the dead bury their dead. Now you know what Jesus meant when He told that man. I'll follow you, Lord, but let me go and bury my father. And Jesus turned to him and said, let the dead bury the dead. Now you know what He said. Let the guy in the tomb who's content with the world bury his relatives that are in the tomb content with the world. But let the resurrected man get out of that grave and follow after me. That's what He's asking for you to do this morning. Are you willing Will you go with Him wherever He sends you? Whatever He wants you to do. The only answer is yes. You can't say no to the Lord and Him be the Lord. Amen? You have to say yes. You can fight Him, you can argue, but you will not win, I promise you. Don't ask me how I know that. So, what will you do? Get out of the tomb. Get out of that grave. Be done with the world's religion. Know nothing except Christ crucified. That's all you need to know. Christ crucified. Live above the flesh. Live above the the worldly eye. Live above the ear of the world. Live above the wealth of the world. Live above the fame and fortune of the world. Live above this world. Keep seeking the things above. How do you do that? You keep seeking. Think about it. You've been raised from the tomb. You have a resurrected life, but you're still here. Now you are like Jesus. He was dead, buried, and raised. Amen? And what did He do when He was raised from the dead? Did He ascend immediately back into heaven? No. The Bible tells us He was here for 40 days. What was He doing in those 40 days? He was encouraging to His disciples. He was rebuking the Jews. He was loving the people. He was making Himself known so no one could dispute the power of the resurrection because Jesus walked, ate, taught, and lived again on this world for 40 days. Amen? What do you do with a resurrected life? You follow the example of your Lord. You go and share the gospel, the good news of God. You eat, you talk, you drink, you encourage, 
You forgive, you exhort, but you make yourself known as a resurrected man. How many of you, at your workplace, the people don't know you're a Christian? Because we hide that. We put a veil over it. Because of whatever reason, we want to fit in with that worldly crowd. God forbid. We want to be like them. We want to be accepted by them as they go on their way to hell. Jesus called you to be different. Jesus called you to take the veil away. Jesus said you are to be a light in a dark place. You are to be salt of the earth. You are to preserve life. You are to enhance life. You are to flavor life. You are to shine so that God gets the glory. That's what we do, brothers, with our resurrected life. We all have a short time left. We don't know how long. It's different for every one of us. But while we're here, we live this resurrected life with a purpose. How many of you have the feeling that this world and the Christian life is overwhelming to you because you are backtracking from that great and awesome day that God pulled you out of that grave. Right? We all have experienced that. Some of you are experiencing that even today. You're backtracking from that great day of your life. The Lord went forward from His resurrection. He did not hide. He did not play games. He did not cover up. He made Himself known. And you need to make yourself known. You need to stop being ashamed of being a Christian. You need to let everybody at your workplace know that. Without a doubt. It might cost you your job. God's got a better one for you. I promise you that. He's not going to bind you up with a bunch of non-believers. He's put you there to be a light among the non-believers. If you lose your job for it, God's got another place. And guess what? It may not be better. It might be darker than the place you left before. But take it like that and understand that as we live that kind of life, that's what God has placed before us. Get out of the grave, be like Jesus, and bear fruit. Testify. Live the risen life before men. Keep seeking the things above. My body is here, but my mind and my heart are there. Amen? That's how I cross the river. That's how I cross the, the border. My body's here, but my mind and my heart are up there. Up there where? With God's agenda. Okay? As a Christian, I suddenly have a new agenda in my life. What is that agenda? People! That's God's agenda. That has come, become our agenda. We seek fellowship with God. We seek to walk with God. We seek more patience in our life. We seek more zeal. We seek more love. We seek more faith. Those are the things above. The things above, we think, are referring to, and I can certainly agree with this, as if they're in heaven, seeking the things above this world, which would be God's heaven. Amen? Amen. And so, what is in God's heaven? There are things there... There is conversation. There are uh, goals and plans of God that are realized here. 
So, if I'm seeking the things above, they are carried out in the below. God tells me to witness. Well, I don't go to heaven to do that. I carry out that thing above here below. That's the mountaintop. You and I live in the valleys where sin is ever-present and where God needs faithful witnesses and soldiers to live for Him in a world that is decaying and headed in the tomb. It's already in the tomb. It's headed to hell. That's God's agenda to save those people out of it. You better make that our agenda. We are to seek brotherly kindness and humility. Here's another way Paul put it in Philippians 4. Finally, brethren, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is of good repute, if there is any excellence and if anything worthy of praise, let your mind dwell on these things. Get your mind out of the grave. He raised you from that. That is no longer a part of you. That world has no more attraction for you. If it does, then you're a dead man. In dead man's clothes. A resurrected man has no intent of going back. What did Jesus say? No one who follows me and puts their hand on the plow and looks back is worthy of the kingdom. Don't look back. There's nothing there that you need. There's nothing there that you really want, resurrected man. There's nothing there for you. Go, go ahead. Move forward. Go and grew at the same time as grew. Okay? So move forward. <laughs> Thank you, brother. Alright, this is what Paul told us in Philippians. Crossing the border involves my life's actions lining up with obedience to God's Word. The last thing for today is this. Set your mind on things above. Look in verse 2. Set your mind on things above, not on the things that are on earth. What is above? Well, we talked briefly about it. But what's the greatest thing above? God Himself. God is above. Set your mind on God. Look at His majesty. Imagine with your mind's eye, as you close your eyes, His throne. He's giving you an imagination. You can certainly see Him there. You can see Jesus on that throne. But use vision and focus and keep your mind on God. The earth is suitable for a dead man, but not a resurrected man. Look what it says in Psalms 37 and verse 4. Delight yourself in the Lord, and He will give you the desires of your heart. What is it to have this world and not have God? Nothing. Nothing. It's the worst that a man could get. It's the worst place he could find himself in. Psalm 73, 25, David said, Who have I in heaven but you? And beside you I desire nothing that is on the earth. What's the greatest commandment, Jesus said? To love the Lord your God with all your heart, 
with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. That is what we focus on. Set your mind on God. Now let's move on. What else can we We set our mind on Jesus? He is God. He is on the throne, as I mentioned a while ago. He is God in the flesh, God that we will see eternally. He holds your heart in His hand, doesn't He? Doesn't He hold your heart? Doesn't He have the reins of your heart and mind in His hand? Meditate on Him. Meditate on His glory, on His reign, on His coming again. See Him step off that throne and get on that white steed and fly down the curtains of heaven to earth to pick up the rest of His church. See that. Focus on it. Set your mind on that. That's our focus as the church. We focus on God. We focus on Jesus. You can also focus on the church. We read about them briefly in the Revelation Do we not? Circling the throne, singing praise. Some are under the throne who have been beheaded for their faith. I have family there in that church. I have relatives. I have friends. I have mentors in that church. It's okay to think about them. It's okay to be encouraged by that. Focus on that. It is above. Above this world, think about the church that God has provided, His bride, His love. Think about your place there. Think about what you'll do in heaven. Set your mind on things above, not on the things on the earth. Set your mind on God's Word. Do you think heaven is silent? I doubt it. I bet there's conversation I bet God is speaking. Even now, He's speaking. He's probably saying, I wish that preacher would get done. Maybe not. But He's speaking. He spoke to us through this, right? This is His Word. This helped us find Him. These Scriptures led us to Jesus, the giver and saver of life. He's the one that we focus on. We focus on His Word. What a gift that we have. Words of life that we can read and follow. God's Word was never meant to be a burden. And what I mean by that, His call on you to serve. His call on you to serve in His church. Right here at Aaron Springs. God put a call on you, Christian. He puts you in a place to serve. He's given you opportunities. And that we sit and we don't, out of fear or whatever reason, too old, too much arthritis, too many kids, too much noise, too much hassle, not enough time. Man, we could come up with a hundred of them, couldn't we? The best one is I'm out of peanut butter, right? Any old excuse will do when I'm making them. And being out of peanut butter is about the best one I've ever found. God called you to serve. In that service, it's never a burden. God never meant for it to be a burden. And yet, we take it as such sometimes. Why? Because we got our heart in the world and maybe our head in heaven. We need to focus on Him, His kingdom, 
His Son, His church, His Word, His service. Think about Martha and Mary. Jesus sitting at their home. And He's teaching and Mary curls up on the floor in front of Jesus at His feet. Martha runs out of the kitchen. She's upset because she can't get all the food prepared and the table set and everything ready for the meal because Mary's in here sitting at the feet of Jesus. And Jesus tells Martha, don't worry about it, Martha. Mary's doing the right thing. Mary's soaking up my word so that then she can go out and serve. You have allowed your service to me to become a burden. If you think it's a burden to serve in this church, you've got one foot in that tomb. It's never a burden to serve God. It's always... Does it take time? Yeah. It takes time. It takes effort. It takes patience. It takes all of those things that God gives you. But He says to do it. He says to serve Him. Focus on the things above. Set your mind on the things above the world. If you're in the business, don't let the business world drag you down to the dregs. Set your mind above the world. If you're a teacher in a school, don't let the school and politics and all that drag you down to the dregs. Set your mind above that. Know your purpose. Know your reason for living. Know what you are to do. Set your mind above your relationships. Set your mind above the loyalties that you have given to people. Set your mind on things above. In order for me to cross that border, and I mean by that is getting out of that grave and stepping over here in the kingdom, you've got to have a resurrected life. If you don't have that, you can wiggle around in that tomb, but you can't get out of it. Amen? You are stuck. There's nothing you can do to get out of it. Only God can get you out of that tomb. And until you surrender to Him, until you give your heart to Him wholly, fully, you will stay in that tomb. Get out of that grave, brother. Get out of that tomb. Think about the things above. Line your actions up with that resurrected life and then focus on God because your day of redemption draws nigh. Amen. Amen. It's coming sooner than you think. Sooner than you want or not soon enough. Right? So, the choice is yours. He wants to give you that new identity. He wants you to cross that border. He wants you to line up your life and focus on Him. What will you do today? Now's the choice. We call this an invitation time. I'm getting rid of that. It's called a decision time. You have a decision to make. Will I walk out the doors like I came in? Or will I walk out the doors with a new identity and a new life? Today you have that choice. It's your choice. You stay in the grave. Or you get out of it. Let's pray. Father, bless this day for us. Bless this moment as every heart in this room has a decision to make. Whether it's being saved, whether it's following you fully, whether it's surrendering to you, whether it's serving you. God, help us to all make your choice for each of us. We pray that now in Jesus' name. Amen.